Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. I'm Tony, and today is episode 124 of the podcast, where we get to sit down with repeat offender, financial expert, and legacy guru, Tony Hickson. Tony and I talk about uh, what stumbling blocks are versus stepping stones. We talk about what it means to plan out your retirement with intentionality, and we talk about what a dream retirement really looks like. I think you're going to love Tony's story. You're going to love his heart. If you haven't already listened, you might want to go back and listen to episode number 12, where Tony talks about retirement, purpose, and suicide. And that's a lot to do with his story. Also, be sure to check out Tony's website, TonyHickson.com. Now, if you are a fan of the podcast, you're going to want to make sure that you hit that subscribe button. We got some incredible, some incredible episodes coming up. I think you're going to love them. If you do love them, do me a favor, leave a rating or review on iTunes. We're trying to get to 100 reviews by the end of the year. Every review goes such a long way in helping people find future episodes. So reviews are like tags for the internet. They just kind of help you know where they are. So if you could leave a review, it would mean the absolute world to me. I'd be forever thankful. And I'm already thankful for all the ways that you guys support this community. Speaking of support, I don't know if you know this or not, but we are a ministry of spirit and truth. What does that mean? Well, spirit and truth is a renewal ministry for the local church. We're passionate about helping churches and pastors get connected to new, fresh ideas, fresh breath of the Holy Spirit. It's what we love to do. For more information, check out their website, spiritandtruth.life, spiritandtruth.life. I'm so thankful for all of you for listening and for this conversation with Tony Hickson. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited today to have a repeat offender, my dear friend, Tony Hickson. Tony, how are you, my my friend? Hey, Pastor Tony. I'm doing good. I love your first name. <laughs> you know, it's why not backwards. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's fun. So, uh, yeah, so as people don't get confused, I'll try to refer to you as Pastor Tony. Does that work all right? Uh, that's great. That's great. And um, and I, I'll be the one doing most of the question asking, which is why I love this format so much. And so uh, for those of you that may not remember Tony, he was here in, um, gosh, episode 12, episode 12. You were one of the very yeah. first guests on there back when I was begging and pleading people to come on the podcast. And one of the <laughs> things that we talked about in that interview, I'm sure you remember, is that when you wrote this book, you would come back on. Uh, and so that was, gosh, almost a year and a half ago, right? Two years ago, maybe? Um, we're going to go with two years. It was July of 2019. Oh, wow. I remember it very well because basically in front of uh, you know, your listeners, uh, you and I kind of uh, conjured up this idea to put this story into book form. So it really, it really ignited here on reclamation podcast so uh it's pretty fun pretty cool two years later here we are the five people that listened to that episode really appreciated it (laughs) (laughs) Uh, thank god thank god though he's continued to grow the platform and now you're back to share this completed project retirement stepping stones Mm -hmm. which comes out as this episode drops it comes out this week i'm so excited for this uh and so let me let me start kind of um with a, a little bit of a recap, if you could, 
can you can you kind of tell us um the in and people should go back and listen to episode 12 because you really do a great job of of sharing your heart in that episode and all the things that happened with your mom but um the, the catalyst for this book is your mom's life and um and some of the tragic events surrounding her death and i wondered if you might um kind of start us in that place of um, of catching everyone up to speed who who may not have heard episode twelve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to. So my mom, um, you know, she graduated with a college degree and started as a registered nurse in the healthcare industry. And as you know, being a nurse, um, you have a heart to serve others, and she did that very, very well. Um, the love that she shared that she gave to others was felt most by myself, my sister. And my dad. And um, so she navigated the, the nursing career, uh, worked at a local hospital, working some pretty crazy shifts. And by the time my sister and I rolled around, she thought, man, these shifts just don't quite work very well for uh, family life. So she began to hunt for different possibilities. And she found herself working at a job in home health care. And uh, she worked there for a few years. And this is around the time that hospice um, began to take take shape or gain a little bit more popularity. And, um, she started to find a heart and passion to, um, to pursue, um, uh, to pursue a career in, in hospice and the way that hospice is defined, and at least in my terms, I, I don't have any academic studies other than, other than what I know that she did. Um, basically it's when the healthcare industry kind of says, you know what, we've done all we can do for you. Mm. Uh, we want you, we want to send you home and put you in the best um, place possible, surrounded by your loved ones and put you at as much peace as possible as you transition from this life to the next. And, um, she found herself, um, I, I guess, uniquely skilled, uniquely gifted, uh, to be able to offer that patient and their loved ones um, the the care and love that they needed um, in those last moments of of the patient's life. So she um, kind of climbed through the ranks and eventually became the director of a hospice agency um, near the hometown where I grew up. And so she spent the duration of, I don't know, 15 to 20 years in that industry. And as you can imagine, um, providing that kind of care um, is very taxing emotionally, mm -hmm. physically, spiritually, relationally. Um, she would go from providing care for a patient to uh, one day and she'd, she'd leave there and go to the funeral home as she um, expressed her condolences to the family that had just lost their loved one. Yeah. And she would rinse and repeat that day after day after day. So um, around the time that um, uh, a new uh, presidential regi regime came into play, um, this particular president decided that me medical records, the digitization of medical records was going to have to really take, take shape. Mm. And, um, my mom did not like technology. She, she didn't <laughs> really want to spend much time behind the computer in any way, shape or form. She wanted to spend time showing love to, to that patient and their loved ones. So she quickly began to um, burn out, uh, not only just from a career in hospice, but also um, just having to spend more and more time behind the desk and behind the computer, as opposed to in these, um, in these patients' homes providing love and care. Um, so she began to entertain the idea of, of retirement. 
and she had a primary financial advisor. It wasn't me. Um, her and my dad decided to separate kind of that financial advising relationship from their kid. And it's probably not a bad idea. Um, and that primary financial advisor gave them the, the green light. Their numbers looked good and um, they're ready to go. But to show respect for, for me and the career that I had built, uh, they also decided to, to get a second opinion and ran their situation by me. I also looked at the numbers and sure enough, I agreed with the primary financial advisor and also issued them a green light. Um, dad was still employed, uh, owned a family farm, which produced produced revenue. So from most or all financial boxes, um, we were able to check each and every one. So in the, um, in the fall of 2010, she decided to pull the trigger and she retired. And um, little did we know at the time, but uh, the story has been become a lot, lot clearer at this point. Um, within the first few weeks after pulling, uh, after deciding to retire, um, she began to not feel as needed anymore. Mm-hmm. So the care that she had shown to so many, um, she had failed to really show self-care and understand what it was that she was going to retire to. She knew exactly what she was retiring from, but she had not spent the appropriate amount of time working on what she would be retiring to. And within about a six months after retirement, having dealt with a downward spiral of depression and dehabilitating anxiety, um, she chose to, to take her life. Hmm. And, and that kind of became the catalyst for um, the work and um, the, the shift in how you do your work uh, that now impacts so many. And, and so I know that you credit your mom for a ton of uh, lives helped. Uh, I, I'm curious, after, after all of this writing um, and, and kind of, I mean, this, is, this book is a deep personal expression of your soul and, uh, and your philosophy and your theology, and it has to do with your mom. And um, w- what did you learn about yourself in the process of writing this book? Well, um, I guess one thing that, that came to light for sure is um, that simply stopping at the numbers. Uh, I, I'm obviously a very analytical person. Um, simply stopping at the, at the numbers w- wasn't good enough. And so um, without really having known it or done it on purpose, subconsciously likely, I'd realized that over the years since my mom took her life that I'd been incorporating into my own practice, into our firm, into my client relationships, the idea of making sure that the non-financial side was also being taken care of. Mm-hmm. And so the questions that um, I would tend to, to find myself asking had had more to do with uh, meaning and purpose and less to do with numbers. So um, it, it became very clear that um, I had done a great job at making sure that my clients had enough money to sleep at night. Um, and I also wanted to make sure they had enough purpose to wake up in the morning. So what I really found out about myself was um, my mom's legacy um, became a part of me. And I was able to use that experience to, to help others, just as she had helped so many in her career as well. 
Uh, that's that's beautifully stated. And and actually, one of the images that I wanted to to get your thoughts on is um, is stumbling blocks versus stepping stones. The the way you write write the book, and and I recommend anybody pick it up. Um, there, you talk a lot about what some of the the stumbling blocks are when people hit retirement, and then how to turn those into stepping stones. And I'm I'm curious. Uh, when you think about that conversion from stumbling block to stepping stone, what process does it take um, to, to take something that could be a potential stumbling block and turn it into something different? H how do we begin to make that shift in our mindset? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, oftentimes when I think about that, I, I, I picture kind of a blank page and right in the middle of the page, I draw a thick black line and um, I kind of think of it below the line thinking and above the line thinking. Hmm. Um, oftentimes in life, we're given two paths. And the one path, uh, we're able to view a situation from a negative standpoint. Um, how could this happen to me? I, I choose the, the victim mentality. Um, why, why, why did God allow this to occur? And when we have that below the line thinking, um, it's an easy mindset because that's what our human nature tends to gravitate toward. And it oftentimes does lead to stress, anxiety, and even depression. And yet to pull ourselves to the preferred place, which is above the line, to, to pull ourselves to above the line thinking requires work. Changing that stumbling block to a stepping stone requires mental energy. It's a little more draining, and yet it's more worth it. And so as we um, do the hard work and throughout the book, we, we lay out many questions that a pre-retiree can, can really think through and navigate even by themselves or with their spouse or significant other that requires them to go ahead and, and step back and do that harder work and not allowing that stumbling block to be in their lives, but to turn it into a stepping stone and think above the line. Wow. I love that. Um, I love that language above the line thinking, and it, it really does hit on one of the things that I was going to ask you about. And um, you talk about identifying your values as kind of a, a precursor to retirement, that before you get to that time when you look at retirement in, in all seriousness, so you take that step that you've got to identify values. So, so I'm kind of curious, you know, if someone who's listening here and they're thinking, man, I, I don't know that if I can name my values, what process would you advise someone to go down to to start thinking about this is what I value in in word and in deed. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, first of all, values is kind of just one of those squishy, vague words. Like, what does that really mean? Um, in the book, I do list, you know, quite a few to choose from, but uh, Google it. And, and it's amazing how many values that a, that, a, that a person likely isn't even thinking of. And it's like, oh, yeah, I really value that. Hmm. So I, I think that a few questions that a person can ask is simply what was it that um, I did in my career that, um, that brought me joy? What was it about my job that I enjoyed? And contrary to that, what was it about my job that I didn't enjoy? Um, what kind of things uh, really stand out to us as we um, as we navigate um, 
those those values in our lives and and having these values and specific experiences that resonate with us allows us to really think through um retiring to what could potentially be next Um, instead of cold turkey possibly like what my mom encountered not really preparing for what was next if she would have taken the time to articulate what was valuable to her and what was valuable to her um, caring for others it may not have had to been through hospice or even in the healthcare industry, but there are a lot of outlets for for that particular value to have expressed itself. And had she done, and had, if we do the proper work and the hard work of identifying our values, I think we'll end up with a very uh, set up for a successful retirement. Yeah, and the, and the values kind of leads to this term that you use in the in the book called dream retirement. And I, I think as I was looking at it, the the dream retirement idea wasn't something that was like uh, just this this broadly stroked picture, but rather very detail oriented. I'm wondering, you, you talk about uh, this guy named Steve in the book, and I wonder if you might share a little bit about Steve's story and um, kind of his struggle when it came to G- January 1st after retiring uh, just a couple months before, because I, I think that when we get to this level of detail, um, it, it does some things to change the mentality of what our dream retirement actually looks like. For sure. Yeah, Steve, you know, throughout the book, I use um, some acronyms to hopefully draw the reader in. Um, these stories are actual real stories from clients I've served, but definitely not the real name by any means. But yeah, Steve was a, a business owner prior to retirement and um, he thrived in the world of entrepreneurship, um, his life was was defined by a lack of routine. Just whatever, uh, as an entrepreneur, whatever was coming up, the next big idea, uh, managing his employees, balancing life and client work, all, all of these things uh, kind of just drove him. Um, but he had high hopes for, for retirement. He was ready to transition out of the entrepreneurship role and, um, and just welcome a, a new change of pace for him. He viewed retirement as his next big idea, as the next adventure. Well, uh, upon retirement, um, something kind of happened within his mind and heart. And um, he, he realized that he was unsure how to spend his time. His, his day was always, um, you know, spent looking at the stressful demands of the job. And now all of a sudden, he had all kinds of time to... Um, to think and and, and not, uh, he did not do the proper job of uh, knowing for sure what he would do next. So um, he started to think through um, some values that he enjoyed and um, some values that he, he was very creative. And so he took an art class at a local community college. Um, he, uh, him, he and his wife had some ideas of renovating their home and he was able to, to get that done. Um, he he tried some other things that um, he was able to spend some time uh, spend some time on, and decided that um, the retirement was was a really great place for him. Uh, it was a little bit if he would have done that work prior to retirement, it would have been a little bit more better transition. But having stepped back and thought through some values that were important to him, he was able to resolve the issue and um, and, and and look into other ways for him to spend his time. I really love that. Um, and so I'm curious if you've started thinking about uh, your dream retirement already. Have you, have you identified some of the values? Did writing this book force you to put some of that stuff down on paper? 
I mean, I know you, you still have a, a long ways to go before retirement. You're a very young man. Um, and, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Have you started thinking about what your dream retirement looks like? Well, I appreciate you saying that I'm young. Um, I mean, we are looking at each <laughs> other. You can see some of the gray coming out, but it's okay. <laughs> um, you know, uh, people have asked me that and I'm, I'm a little bit like my mom, um, in, in a way I'm pretty type A personality. I have to be doing something. Um, granted she was burnt out and honestly I'm, I'm thriving. Um, this book has really helped me articulate the values that I find dear. And I think that's, um, uh, retirement to me, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of living that dream even as we speak. I can't imagine stopping helping the number of clients that are, um, are in need of this type of a, of a conversation. Um, by, by, by any stretch of the imagination, they've likely checked the boxes and met with their financial advisor to ensure that they have enough money. Um, but by, uh, unfortunately, even in the financial advising uh, career, uh, in our industry, we're, we're woefully unprepared to ask our clients about uh, the meaning and purpose that they need to achieve um, while in retirement. I feel like I'm pretty uniquely positioned to be able to um, engage in that conversation and help my clients experience a great a great transition into retirement. I love that. And, you know, there, I guess there's no rules to say that you can't continue to do this for as long as you want. And I mean, if, mm -hmm. if you've just decide what kind of little details you want on a daily basis and, and go from there. Um, mm -hmm. a, as you begin to think about work and home and, uh, I, I know you to be a man of deep faith. And, um, w one of the things that we talk about often on here is that, is that our daily disciplines are what avoid us from some of our distractions. When we begin to think about, work and home and life and balance do, do you have any thoughts and on how to how to keep work from becoming our identity as it pertains to our faith or any you know I, I i hear a lot from a lot of different speakers that it's just so easy for work to become an idol and and what i get a sense here if we take a step back and look at this macro big picture that um, what you're suggesting isn't just, I mean, this, this is almost an act of worship if we do it well. Am I, am I reading too much into that? Or is, is that kind of your heart uh, behind the scenes too? You're not reading into it at all. In fact, uh, um, you know, I believe that God created us on purpose for a purpose. And uh, if you, you know, I, I assume that you're a, a student of God's word, the word retirement does not exist in, in anywhere in the Bible. It's kind of a, an ideal from our, American culture that really, uh, really embraced this idea of, of stopping work. Um, I think work for us is, is the reason that we are created. And even though I'm not serving specifically in a local church, I'm not a missionary to a third world country. Um, I'm helping a human being transition into a next phase of their life. Well, and God made you on purpose. He made me on purpose. We each have a unique skill set and unique ability. Even identical twins have different fingerprints. So I'm convinced that the purpose that he's put me on the face of this earth for is to do exactly what I'm doing right now, which is helping our clients transition into the next phase of their life and preventing them from the mental stress and, and the anxiety that can come with such a big decision.
Um, so I don't really feel like the work-life balance has ever been achievable or makes much sense. Um, to me, it's, it's an integrated faith that can happen in all facets of life. I love that. And I, I love the integration part of it because I, we don't see, I, I just don't see anywhere in scripture where Jesus is like, please hold while I go to my nine to five and then I'm going to come back and continue to do the work of the kingdom, mm-hmm. building the kingdom, right? We, we build the kingdom wherever we're planted. I, I think that's, I think that's spot on. And, um, and, and I think that that idea transferring from our, our career air quotes to our retirement is a part of a, a faith transformation in that process, right? Like I'm, Hey, I'm going to take the, I'm your, your mission field's not going to change whether you're clocking in at, at your office or clocking in at your, you know, while, while you watch your grandkids, you know, that, am, am mm-hmm. I thinking about that the right way? Absolutely. Um, there is a society and a, and a culture in need of, of what God has instilled within you. And you spent a 25 to a 30 year career building a unique skill set that can bless others. It is not as though at age 62 or 65 or pick an age that all of that um, uh, experience that you've had uh, should stop. It's an age where you may be able to make work optional, but the skill set that you've achieved should still be able to be used to bless humanity and to make this world a better place. It doesn't stop with retirement. It launches with retirement. That's that'll preach any day of the week. Um, I I know that at the end of the book, um, you talk a little about visiting your mom's grave. And uh, mm-hmm. as I was um, as I was reading that, I, I was really touched about the process of, of how you got there. I was wondering if you wouldn't mind uh, sharing that story, if it's not too, uh, too difficult to share, but kind of the process of how, you know, what, what brought you back to the cemetery after all those years? Yeah. Yeah. Tony. So the pastor Tony, so the story, um, you know, I, I probably, you know, maybe I, I should hire a counselor to get it out of me, but, um, um, after I took, I was one of the pallbearers and after myself and five of my closest friends took, uh, my mom's casket to her final resting place, I had never been back. Mm. And, and I don't, I don't know if I can explain why other than, you know, she chose to leave and I just, I, I don't know. I don't know if I, I could muster up the... I don't know. I don't have it articulated as to why, but I just didn't want to go back to that place. There was just, there was just too much sadness. And I want to, wanted to keep my mind above the line. And I thought going back would pull me down. And yet um, something felt right as uh, this manuscript um, began to take more, began to take shape. And I had the final manuscript in my possession and, um, I got to the end of it and there was something missing. Um, I felt like I didn't um, conclude the story very well. I felt like I had shared some deep, um, intimate feelings and and stories about my mom, but I had never, um, I'd never shared it with her. Hmm. And so one morning, um, that manuscript in hand and her favorite flowers in the other, um, I made the tough drive to the, 
to the cemetery. And quite honestly, it took me a little while to, to find it. Uh, it had been 10 years since I had been there and I didn't know which driveway to, to roll in. Um, and I found myself walking for a good five to 10 minutes before I finally found um, her, her, her stone. Um, the moment reminded me a bit. It reminded me a bit of the day that my dad called and when he called me to tell me that um, she she had taken her taken her life, it was gray, and the morning was was chilly. Um, I didn't have a lot of words to say. I didn't know exactly what to do, but I knew that this story needed to be um, shared, and I wanted to share it with her first. So I laid the, her favorite flowers on her, on her stone, in the manuscript beside them, and I pictured. Um, I pictured her being proud, and um, I pictured her desiring uh, the first signed copy. So I took out my pen, I signed it, and I said. Uh, to mom, the best son, the best mom a son could ask for. And um, as God as God would have it, um, the son peeked from behind a cloud as I stood up and, and headed back toward my vehicle. And I knew that, um, that I'd be back, um, that I had broken that 10-year streak. And um, I needed to have more conversations with her and to, to let her know of the legacy that she left with me and that she'll continue to leave to others um, through the book that um, that we're releasing. Praise God. Yeah, praise God. That's awesome. I think it also really points out an important um, thing and your testimony really reminds me that uh, grief is real and um, it's important and it can be above the line. You know, it, it's okay to be sad, even um, even when you're thinking about um, what's next, right? Like, uh, you know, even even Jesus wept for the loss of his friend, and I think that that's a, a really good reminder that uh, grief, in so many ways, is an act of worship. And so, um, mm-hmm. so thank you for for sharing that and for being so vulnerable. And man, I just love your heart. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thanks for asking. It's uh, definitely a tough moment, but um, I think it's the epitome of the title. Um, that was a stumbling block for me yeah. a lot of years. And um, that became um, another uh, version of a stepping stone uh, where I'm, I was able to overcome that, um, that the disconnect, that separation, and um, was able to share that, that moment and that story with her. Um, turning this tragedy into triumph has been, has been not easy. Uh, I think of my dad, uh, this was his high school sweetheart. Yeah. Um, they had 40 years of marriage together and they had planned a, a fruitful and awesome retirement. Uh, they were looking forward to growing old together and that was taken from him. Mm. Um, the, 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 
the emotions I feel and thinking what he went through is is really tough. But um, as we sit here today, um, he's a resilient man. He's a, uh, he's a Hickson. He's a, he's a man of faith. He's a farmer. He's a tough guy. He, uh, he's been remarried. Um, Pat has now become a welcome and important part of our family. And um, they're, he has a companion, and they're doing life together, and they're enjoying their later years. It's pretty cool. Uh, so I'm curious, what did your dad think of the book? So I was able to give him a signed copy. When I had, let's see, I think they were delivered a couple weeks ago. And uh, one thing about my dad, I love him to death. He's a slow reader. So <laughs> I don't believe at, the, at this point he's not all the way through, um, but he's definitely given me some some good affirmation along the way. Uh, so he hasn't gotten to the to the end of the story yet. Now, I also know that you are pouring some serious seeds and um, and you're you're really doing some some great work with your kids and you're you're laying out some stepping stones for them, which, by the way, I love that metaphor of you just being there like, oh, here's a stepping stone. Here's a stepping stone. Um, what's it been like? What's it been like to to look at your kids as you process um as you process all of this in writing, I mean, I, I would imagine you, you mentioned in the book that it was a very cathartic process, but it had to have changed or influenced the way that you parent a little bit. Is that a correct assumption? That's fair. Um, you know, my kids keep me humble. Um, I know that um, this marketing push that we're doing right now to get the book out is kind of trying to make the name famous, but uh, they make sure that I know that I'm I'm just a dad. I'm just a normal, a normal guy, and uh, I'm, I'm an embarrassment to to them half the time, and uh, all the good things that dads are supposed to do. Um, one one thing that I've been super uh, intentional about in recent years. Um, is is making sure that um, my legacy is not just spoken, but also um, in writing. Yeah. Uh, so every Friday, I'll, I'll whip out my cell phone and I'll text the Hickson Family Channel, and um, it's never long and it's never um, deep. But there are principles that I want to make sure that both that all three of my children um, know were important to myself, to my wife Carrie as they navigate, um, their future. You know, my oldest Eliana, she's already a sophomore. She just started uh, school back up yesterday. And, um, yeah, I've got a couple years left, um, before she graduates and moves on, uh, transitions into college and becomes her own, her own young adult woman. Um, it's important that we take the, that I take the time to articulate my values, our values that I start, be, that I begin to leave a legacy now I don't wait until I'm in my 60s or 70s and, and put them in an estate plan or a will that's only read upon my my passing hmm. and putting them into words today that they'll be able to hopefully pour back over as life continues. I don't know if they ever um, will go back to those text messages or or, or, or those writings that I've had. I, I've given them a, a signed copy of this book as well. My youngest son, Everett, he's 10. Um, 
he hasn't even opened it up yet. He has no idea what's inside that thing, but <laughs> that, there's a piece, <laughs> there's a piece of, of the Hickson legacy that's right there at his fingertips. And I'm hopeful that someday he'll, he'll open that up and see what a great grandmother uh, that uh, my mom would have been and was, would be to him. And, and what a great uh, legacy that the Hickson name will continue. Uh, so true confession, one of, one of my favorite, my all-time favorite reviews of our podcast on iTunes, you know, how people leave ratings or reviews, it came from your daughter after, after number 12, it's, um, I'll never forget how much she, she gushed over her dad. And that's, uh, I thought to myself, man, I, um, that's, that's just a really beautiful thing to see. So. Um, please let your daughter know how much I appreciated that and and what a special thing it is for me just to watch your guys's relationship play out and um and so I, I love yeah. that and and yeah. I saw on Facebook recently because of course we're friends uh that you guys just completed the fifth annual Hickson family triathlon now I wow. can't get my yeah. I can't get my family to fold laundry together. How on earth did you get your family to do a triathlon together? Tell me about that process mm-hmm. for for the uh, right. five well, of you. Yeah, well, to be clear, um, I can't get my family to d- fold laundry together either. <laughs> but uh, uh, when you when you promise ice cream, you can uh, you can certainly get a lot of things mm-hmm. done. That'll be uh, one of the cool things that we have here in Finley. I I know a guy that owns a uh, it's flag city clothing and, um, we're able to get some shirts printed and, uh, my kids think these shirts are the coolest thing in the world and they're branded with Hickson's family triathlon and the year that, that we do them in. So, um, they, at this point we, I did it five years ago cause I thought it'd be, you know, kind of a cool thing and surprised them with the shirt. And then, uh, the second year that kind of just became a tradition. So they don't really do it for any other reason than to get a shirt at the end. So and ice cream. Uh, that's shirt and ice cream. debate that works pretty well. <laughs> shirt and ice cream. Yep. That works. Uh, but it is kind of, it is kind of a fun, uh, a fun little event. It's definitely not very long distances, obviously, but uh, we do it together. Nobody like gets too far ahead of the other one. And we create that memory together. And I'm sure they'll look back someday and think how quirky and weird it was. But at the same time, um, maybe it'll be a tradition that they carry on with their, their kids as well. Well, one thing that we all know, right, is that more is caught than taught. And so when you're, when you're doing those kind of intentional activities together, you're giving them the opportunity to see, um, see what a future could look like. Now, one of the things I appreciate about you is that you're, um, you're, you're a very determined man. And so you, you've done some long distances, your family may not have, but you recently did an Olympic triathlon and I'm curious, um, what did you learn? I mean, what do you learn about yourself in the process of, of biking and running and swimming as many miles as you did in that Olympic triathlon? And, and it's, it's a full marathon, right? It's a mile swim, a full marathon and like a 1 million miles on the bike. How many miles on the bike is it? At least a million for sure. Um, yeah. So to, to clean all, to clean that up, Tony, I, want, I don't want to give myself too much credit. It's a mile swim, uh, a 26 mile bike and a six mile run. So not, not oh, a God. marathon okay. run by any I was, I was close. I was, th- you know what I was thinking of Ironman. Nonetheless. Right? 
Yeah, there that is like the extreme level. I've never done an Ironman before. An Olympic though. Okay, so what did you learn about yourself in the Olympic? Right. Well, I picked up this sport um, probably, I think it's been 14 years ago, uh, right before my 30th birthday. And I was thinking, man, um, I need to, I need to do something that uh, will challenge me that I can do with some friends and that will allow me to be able to, you know, check a, check a box and accomplish a goal. And uh, I got a few buddies together and we did our first uh, sprint distance triathlon uh, here in Ohio, up in, up in Sylvania. And I kind of caught the bug and I've been doing um, a, a triathlon or, or, or various triathlons each year, ever, ever since. And while my friends uh, have all kind of waned away, um, I, I continue to, I continue to think that it's, um, each person needs to have a bit of a challenge in their lives and to get up in the morning and clear my own mind and, and be with my thoughts. Um, even before the kids get out of bed, um, to be able to challenge myself uh, with a, with a goal is really, um, invigorating to me. Um, I once took a strengths finder test. Uh, have you, have you taken the strengths finder test, Tony? I have. Yes. Yeah. So one of my, I think I actually know my first strength is consistency. So it's just one of those things that, um, you know, God has implanted to me as a, as a, as a gift or as a strength, um, is to be consistent. So, um, I'm able to get up each morning, oftentimes see the sunrise and, uh, prepare for that, uh, that finish line, which could be, you know, 12, 14 weeks away from the, from the moment I get up, um, until the final moment where I've actually completed the race. Um, I think it's pretty analogous to, um, you know, the retirement to a retirement, um, story as well, where, you know, there could be a pretty long duration of a career where, um, people have uh, put a lot of thought and, and effort into place from a financial standpoint. Um, but they haven't necessarily prepared fully. So if we're not prepared fully to, to race that, that triathlon, we're not going to be successful if our equipment isn't quite right, or, um, we don't have the rights, um, you know, our, 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 our shoes aren't quite right, or we haven't, uh, prepared with our cardio, um, that race isn't going to go well and we're not going to finish well. And then just as important is, um, post-race recovery. I've learned that, uh, just stopping and, and going back on the couch and, uh, starting to drink pop again is not uh, the definition <laughs> of a great post-race recovery. Um, it's starting, it's actually going out on a run the next day. Um, to help stretch those sore muscles back out. It's going back on, out on a, on a ride the following day. And um, so it's, it's analogous then with after you pull the trigger on retirement, it's still being able to operate within your unique ability, within your gift, within your skill set to uh, kind of wind down over time instead of all at once wondering, man, um, I, I miss it or, or I wish I had that back. It, it might be too late. So preparing and then having it happen and then winding down slowly is always um, a, a great way to, to accomplish a race. So I know that my listeners love to pray and they oftentimes pray for our guests. Uh, I'm curious when it comes to this book and to the ministry that you and Carrie are doing together, what what can they be praying for you and for this ministry specifically? Hmm. I appreciate you asking, um, that, and I appreciate, appreciate the prayer. 
I, I can't help but think that I'm, um, you know, in a in an odd way, I'm a I'm a fairly, you know, unknown author, and yet in today's society, I know how things can go um, can get pretty big pretty quick. They can go viral. And I don't know if it's right to pray this. The prayer of Jabez is, you know, expand my territory. I'm just really praying that God expands my territory. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm in Northwest Ohio, and um, I've got a fairly um, large following here in, in my zip code because our marketing efforts can only reach so far. Um, but there, there's people in Utah and Oregon and in Arizona that need this message as well. And I might not have the marketing budget to be able to push to, to that area of the world, but um, maybe your listeners and, and obviously God has the ability to make sure that that happens. Um, this is one of the few financial books, if not one of the only financial books that's coming out that does have a human interest element. Mm-hmm. Um, Dave Ramsey, I love, I love each and every book that comes out of their organization. Um, it's more of a to-do and, and a financial metric box. Um, check boxes. Um, this one, it, it comes at, at, at the financial perspective from a financial perspective um, that that's not commonly written about. Uh, I'm a I'm a big believer that God wastes nothing, mm-hmm. and at this that this story, as tragic as it was, um, He's going to be used for His glory. And as hard as it is for me to share um, about what happened to Mom. Um, I think it will be, I know it will be instructive to others and they won't repeat her same mistakes. And, and even though that um, depression rates amongst newly retired people are high and, and suicide rates actually peak at age 75 for, for men, um, hopefully this book um, will provide them an alternative path. It'll give them teachings and lessons and work to do to pull them back up above the line. And it won't just be a, an impact felt in Northwest Ohio but it'll be an impact felt throughout the state, throughout the country and throughout this world. I love that. I love that. And that's a prayer that we can all join in together. So um, now I, I know I have one more question for you, but I know that my, my listeners are going to want to find you on the interwebs. I know that you're blogging on a regular basis. I mean, you, you're, you're all in on this writing thing and I'm here for it because a guy <laughs> with your, your gift set has got a lot of writing to do and a lot of uh, messages to get out. Where where is the best place that people can can learn more about you? Pick up their copy of the book and and get connected to um, mm-hmm. your mission. Yeah, well, thanks for asking, Pastor Tony. I, I guess to pick up a copy of the book, tonyhickson.com forward slash book. It's available on any major online retailer. Um, there's a companion piece. There is a workbook that will go along with it. Uh, simply go to TonyHickson.com, download a free copy of the workbook uh, as a companion piece to, um, as you read the book, you're able to answer the questions right alongside it. And then for those who want to engage in the conversation beyond the book, I, I am a weekly blogger and I'd love for you to, to engage on my, um, on my platform by simply going to TonyHickson.com forward slash blog and subscribing there. And then from a social media standpoint, I tend to be most active on Facebook and you can find me at Tony Hickson Financial Advisor. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Okay. Last question. I always love to ask people. Uh, It's an advice Mm -hmm. question. If you could give yourself one piece of advice, except I get to, um, I get to take you back to a very specific moment, right? And and, Mm -hmm. um, the moment that I'm going to choose here is the first day that you opened up your computer 
to start writing this manuscript. If you could go back, and now I know that's not very many years ago. It's not. I sometimes I go back way further, mm-hmm. but in in this particular case, I'm curious what what's the one piece of advice you would give uh, that younger version of Tony as he begins to set out on this process of telling the story of his mom and his mission. Um, well, from just a practical standpoint, I uh, hit backspace a lot, um, <laughs> yeah, trying to, <laughs> I, I was trying to make it too perfect too quickly, uh, as opposed to just allowing the thoughts and the fingers mm. to flow. Um, I, I, I got too caught up in, um, making it, um, making it too perfect too quickly. I've, I've now discovered that the editing process and, um, and the publisher are what tend to perfect that a lot more than I ever could. Um, I think from just a, uh, you know, less practical level, uh, um, I don't, I'm going to turn this question back to you uh, here eventually, but I think the word is imposter syndrome, um, to, to somehow overcome what you know about how other books are doing or how big other authors are, or, um, these other large podcast platforms that have the ability to, to get their message out to the masses in a, in a very easy and convenient way. I just felt very, very small, very intimidated mm-hmm. and time and again, um, that would often stop me from even, um, writing that next page or that next paragraph because I'm like, what am I doing? This, the story's not going to go anywhere. It's going to, um, it's going to just simply impact, you know, uh, maybe one or two clients and slowly, but surely I thought, you know what, if it impacts one or two clients, it's been successful. So I found myself, um, about halfway through, uh, the, the, the writing of the book and, um, a good friend of mine, he's in his, early seventies had asked if I would join him for coffee. And I went down to the local coffee shop with him. He's a very successful, um, corporate executive. And, um, I couldn't help but notice when I met with him that day, there was something about him that was just a bit, um, he seemed a bit down and I wasn't Mm. quite sure why. And so I decided to try to ask some, some questions. I, I knew he had retired recently. I had met with him. This was March, of 20, um, I'm sorry, this was July of 2020. And, um, I was about halfway, three quarters of the way through the book at that point. And, um, he had basically articulated to me unknowing, not knowing who I was, uh, that I was even writing a book, um, that, uh, he had, uh, he, he was not doing well with retirement, hmm. um, that he had met with his financial advisor a zillion times to, and his wife to check the the financial boxes and that he was able to give and uh, philanthropically and that he was able to bless his grandkids with trips and this and that and the other. And, and yet he had just kind of felt like he had lost his way. In that moment, I was just in the, in the, in the deep recesses of, of getting this out of my brain. And I was able to give him for all intents and purposes, a, a, a five minute summary of my 162 page book. Hmm. And, um, through tears of, of joy in that moment, he thanked me and, um, asked for, you know, I told him I was putting it in writing. He wants, he wanted the first copy. And I said, I, I will give that to you. Um, that afternoon or that, um, later that day I had lunch with my wife and I got a text from him and I asked Carrie if it'd be okay if I open it up. And, and she said, absolutely. So I opened the text to see what it would say. And the text, um, that he had, 
that he had written to me said, Tony, thank you for your time this morning. Um, today, whether you knew it or not, you quite literally saved a life. Wow. I don't know exactly the deeper meaning behind those words, but it was instructive to me to know that uh, while other authors may have large platforms and larger marketing budgets and huge publishers, um, I've got him. I got yeah. that guy. I, I was able to share that, share that story with him and it was able to make an impact. And for me, it gave me the motivation to get back into the office and, and, and get the rest of that book written. So I don't know if that really answers your question, no, but how, how do that's you, perfect. Pastor Tom, how do you, how, how do you overcome kind of that imposter syndrome? How would you encourage a person through that? Uh, I have a good counselor. I have a very good counselor that I see on a regular <laughs> basis. For sure. Um, and that's part of it. Uh, you know, but I, I think what you did with that gentleman is probably the best. Um, it's the best reminder. You know, it's, it's, you know, I, I do it for one, I do it for me, I do it for the process. You know, it's, it's really easy. Um, it's really easy to look at a podcast episode for me and be like, that thing should be blowing up. Why, why haven't all of these people <laughs> downloaded it? And, uh, right. and, and yet, you know, I, I don't get to control any of that, right? Like uh, I don't get to control how many people listen or don't listen or how many people leave ratings or reviews or all of the things that, you know, show, uh, I'm going to use air quotes, success. Uh, but what I do get to control is how much I love the process. And I get to sit down mm -hmm. with somebody like yeah. you and all the incredible guests that I get to have on the, on the podcast and the platform. And, and man, uh, I, I believe it's probably going to change one life. You know, the, the conversation we had today is going to change a life. And uh, mm -hmm. because wow. that's how God works. He, he goes after the one. And mm -hmm. so I think if we stay faithful to the one, uh, that what's that old adage, right? It takes a really long time to become an overnight success. And, uh, and, <laughs> and if that happens, great. If it doesn't happen, that's great too. That's not going to stop me from right. pulling incredible authors in like yourself and talking about your story and, uh, and being moved. Hmm. And I got a whole file, I had a whole file cabinet full of notes on things like that. And it just, man, it just warms my heart every mm -hmm. time I put one in it. So, you know, as we, as we wrap mm -hmm. this up, awesome. I'll rip this off and I'll put it in my yet to publish folder. And then once I publish it, I'll put it in the publish folder and, and I'll think to myself, mm -hmm. man, I can't believe I get to have such a, an incredible conversation with so many people. So, mm -hmm. Well said. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And really appreciate what you and, and your wife, Karen, are, are doing to bless, bless others uh, through the, not only through this podcast, but also in your, in your chosen career and your chosen mission, mission field. I know that um, many are blessed by your encouragement, your words, your understanding of who God is and, and your articulate way of, of taking um, really complex um, theological um, uh, paradigms and being able to put them into levels that we can understand that would help us to grow closer to our Savior. So thank you for what you do. Thank you for being a voice and uh, keep up the great work, Pastor Tony. Hey, I appreciate you, man. And thanks for being so generous. Uh, I can't wait to celebrate you. Uh, book number two, book number two. <laughs> oh man i don't know if i'm ready for that but uh we shall see yeah. we'll see what god does <laughs> all right thanks a lot man indeed indeed 
Hey, thanks for your time. Take care. Man, I just love Tony's heart. I appreciate the way that he uh, leans into his story. He's sharing it almost in real time as he talked about that first trip to the cemetery. Uh, I don't know about you, but I know that there have been so many moments in my life where I've been scared to do hard things. And uh, yeah, I just love the way Tony tackles it head on. Hey, go ahead and hit him up on social media. Let him know that you heard him here on the Reclamation Podcast. Give him a follow, subscribe to his email list, and pick up a copy of his book. It's going to go a long way in supporting his ministry and how God is working through his platform. Again, guys, I'm so thankful for you. Hit that subscribe button, leave a rating, a review, and share this episode with a friend. It really uh, just means the world to us, and we're incredibly thankful for who you are and your commitment to this community. As always, don't forget, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.